I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, folks. Jason Thomas with the Hardway MBA. I am super excited, um, humbled, and and flattered that my guest today would uh, would join me. I've been listening to Jordan for uh, several years now, and I would will give you all his information. But before we dive into that, I will invite you to jump over to Snapchat when we're done here. Uh, look me up, Jason R. Thomas. Find the Hardway MBA question of the day. Every day, a little experiment I'm doing to see how people are deriving business value from Snapchat. That's one way you can do it. So now, Jordan, um, I'm going to throw this at you because I hear you do it all the time. Can you introduce yourself in a sentence? Sure, yeah. You know, it's funny. I do throw that out to everybody, and I'm not sure if I've ever been asked that before. <laughs> I teach advanced social skills and personal magnetism. It's awesome. There's a there's a whole lot there. Uh, advanced social skills and personal magnetism. So I, again, I'm winging that one, but Yeah, I like it. What I mean by that though, which you might expect is that these advanced social skills are not it's not for guys that and girls for that matter that tie their shoelaces together and have tape on their glasses. Before when I used to say, oh, you know, we teach social skills, people would be like, oh, there's a Darth, there's such a lack of social skills in everywhere. And, you know, I know this guy and he doesn't have any friends and he picks his nose. And I'm like, no, these are not, this is not what I'm, what we're fixing here at the Art of Charm. We get guys that are ultra high performers or just regular old high performers that want to take things to the next level in terms of their business and personal social connections and their social skills. And so our clients tend to be, I mean, we've had SEAL Team 6 come through, not the whole thing, but a bunch of them come through. And these are the guys who went after Osama bin Laden, right? They're not exactly guys who, who can't string a sentence together. And we have intelligence agencies come through from all over the world, uh, undercover operators, types like that, cops, um, homeland security. But we also get like the sales guys that that want to increase that business. The college kid who says, look, I know that I'm going to need this to get ahead. So I want to do that. We also have guys that come through that just got a divorce and they're like, look, man, I don't know how to do this stuff. I've been married for 15 years. Mm -hmm. so it's a bunch of different types of people that come through the art of charm, but none of them are the type of people that you would maybe expect to invest in this particular type of skill set because most people don't realize it's important unless they're below average when it comes to this stuff. Most people think, well, I can kind of do that. I'm well-liked, so I don't need this. And that's one of the chief objections that I hear, mostly from men, uh, ironically, because I think guys don't want to need this stuff, uh, that will come through as they go, well, you know, I don't really need this because everybody likes me. And usually when I hear that, it's straight from the mouth of somebody that uh, is not well-liked, frankly. Yeah, everybody likes me as long as we're only talking to me. The the art of charm, you know, it kind of has that that kind of pickup artist training vibe just in the name. But hearing you talk about personal magnetism and the the folks that have come through your training, you know, those obviously you know, SEAL Team Six doesn't need pickup artist training. Right. Exactly. Um, so 
what does charm have to do with business success? Yeah, and I totally get that a lot of people will judge the book by the cover and go, oh, you know, I don't need that. And um, I, I've it's something our brand has struggled with for a while. I think mm-hmm. we're off with it than without it, at least for the time being. But I, I can definitely see that being limiting. I have other friends in in the in, in different industries who have uh, varying degrees of success with branding. I don't, do you know who Amit Sethi is? You ever heard of that person? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so his brand, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Yeah. It's tough because it's he's not really teaching people what it sounds like off the cuff, right? He's not teaching you how to make money online and do some scammy thing where you invest in this and you get rich on penny stocks. He's not doing that. And yet the bulk of the criticism that he gets from people who refuse to educate themselves on the product is, oh, yeah, it's just another get-rich-quick scheme. So we do suffer from that to an extent. But I think people who, who really don't understand what – and I realize you're asking that question for the – purposes of the show but people will genuinely say look i don't see what role that plays but usually the people that don't understand what role charisma being well liked getting people to like and trust you the people who don't understand where that fits in in business are either not in business at all or they are so so kind of clueless when it comes to this that they don't understand the secret game being played around them if that makes sense and so most people understand that they need these soft skills in business. It's just that if I teach, if I say, look, Jason, I'm going to teach you Microsoft Excel because you don't know it or you're not that good at it, you'd go, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I could probably use a refresher course. Sure. Microsoft Excel. But if I say, look, I'm going to teach you how to create really good first impressions, create genuine rapport with people, and then systemize your follow up, you might go, I don't need that. And usually people who think that don't realize that they think, well, people know who I am and I hand out business cards when I meet new people. They don't understand that that doesn't do squat, that everybody is smiling and looking people in the eye when they shake hands and then handing over a business card and saying, call me when you need a financial manager. But that's not what this is. This is creating a real connection with people and doing it in a systematic way, but also being authentic at the same time so that you're not just a smarmy business card dealer. And and that's really tricky. But the the thing that I've learned in the last literally 10 years of talking with and interviewing some of the top entrepreneurs and like business people in corporate fields and hanging out with quote unquote big shots is that everybody I know who's successful and I mean everybody. I don't mean entrepreneurs. I don't mean just Richard Branson, et cetera. I mean people who are good at any job at all. Even the guys who sit around and code all day, the guys who are the top level, the guys who get to manage and who get to control projects and make decisions, they all have this soft skill unlock. And when they don't, they know it, and it's one of the things that actually stops them from moving upwards. So we see this a lot. and I, I don't, you know, we see a lot of guys. We I'm in Silicon Valley, so we get a lot of guys who come down to to L.A. to the school from up where I am, who work for Google and Apple and Microsoft and things like that, and other startups. And I always go, so what are your goals? And they go, look, I know I'm going to be a cubicle robot coding for the rest of my career unless I get this down, because nobody trusts me to lead a team. And if I'm going to have any sort of real leadership role in this company. I have to be able to do this because companies now know you can't just promote the most technically skilled person because they will blow it. So these are guys who are getting passed up, very capable, super smart guys getting passed up for promotions from somebody's five years less seniority or even more because they know that that younger guy is well-liked and people will listen to him and he can coordinate 
project. So at some level, you actually become less promotable if your skill set technically is high, but your people skills are low because you're better off just implementing what somebody else tells you it, uh, unless you can actually lead the team. And and that it becomes real obvious who's going to be a leader and who's not. And it's not something that you're born with. It, this is a nurture thing. You can learn it. It's just that most people don't because the ego gets in the way. Yeah, I think that's I, I think you're you're unpacking some really interesting things. Um, I, one of the things I like to leave folks with at the end of these uh, talks, Jordan, is like really tactical. This is how you get this stuff done. And I know from your from your podcast, you're big on that as well. Yeah. So yeah. I, I had an idea that, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, I'm in sales. Uh, you said a lot of a lot of sales, high performance sales guys will come into the, the class. Um, one of the scenarios that we encounter in sales and I think in business in general, and as you progress through through your career, you encounter it more and more is kind of this this networking happy hour cocktails whether it's supposed to be networking or it's just a place where you're gonna you know you're gonna run into some pretty heavy hitters would you mind kind of taking us through a, a kind of virtual how to work the room conversation and kind of walk us through how you guys think about that and like, give us a taste of what that is for you guys during your training yeah totally that's that's a really good sort of scenario because i think most people do this wrong, even the people who think they're doing it right. So what most people envision is they walk in, they they got a big smile on their face, they walk up and they say, "Hey, Jason Thomas, nice to meet you. How you doing? Uh, I'm in. I'm in. I sell this one, and this, and this, and this. What do you guys do? Pr- sort of give them a cursory, polite listen, but you're not really listening because you don't really care. And then you bust out your business cards and you go, "Anytime you need a used car, call me, Jason. That just JT rhymes with call me. Ha ha. Here's Here's my card, everybody. Here's my card. Give me your card so I can add you to my email list against your will. Thanks. Bye. Next table. Rinse and repeat. And I think most people hate doing that. Mm-hmm. They go, well, I don't want to be that guy. There's, you know, 1% of your audience is like, wow, that does sound like me. And the other 99% goes, I don't do that because I hate that, but I don't have anything that replaces that. I don't have an alternate strategy. And so what we teach actually at Art of Charm, we have a whole system for this from beginning to end. But this actually begins before you even walk in the room because really you're – and forgive me if I start – back a little bit too early, but I, no, I, I go for it, man. sort of the tactics of getting rapport and keeping in touch with people and, you know, systemizing follow-up and making people like and trust you, th- those, those things all come after the initial first impression. I think we can agree on that, right? Yeah. So where people mostly go wrong is they think, okay, my first impression is what happens when I open my mouth. And that's not totally true because I see you far well before I actually speak with you. I I see the way that you carry yourself. I normally might even see you enter the room if I'm facing the door, which a lot of people do subconsciously and don't even realize it. And so I see you interacting with other people before you interact with me. So if my first impression of you is you're looking at your phone or you're looking down at the ground or you're left out of a conversation standing behind everybody with your hands in your pockets – 
I make a subconscious judgment about who you are, where you stand on the social hierarchy, what kind of person you are. All those things are going on in my human brain because we're evolved to do that. And people who think, I'm not judgmental, I leave an open mind for everybody. Yeah, you might be more flexible consciously, but subconsciously you're still making those same judgments about other people. You just might be more flexible in changing them, but we can't really change the way that we've evolved. So I'm just going to go ahead and call BS when people say that. It's, it's kind of one of those things like, I don't like to be judgmental. Well, I get it, but you are. Sorry, you're no, here. I readily admit I'm judgmental. I pass judgment in five seconds or less. It's pro- yeah, it's, I don't. Wow. I, I'm working on it, but uh, and, yeah, not that hard. The thing is you can't stop yourself from doing it, nor should you. you giving people a second chance to, to crawl their way out of that hole, if maybe right. judge them one way. Now, that's that's a nice thing. You're a nice person. Pat yourself on the back. But for most of us, we can't really undo. And for yeah. actually, we can't undo that first impression. We can only sort of hope that what we're doing afterwards is, is making up for it as best as possible. So where the problem comes up is we think that that's the first thing that comes out of our mouth. So if I walk up to you and I say, hey, my name is Jordan. Nice to meet you. I've heard a lot about you, blah, 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 whatever. That's That might be what I think is my first impression. But really, my first impression in your mind was when I became a blip on your radar. And what that means is, did you walk by me and I, I glanced upward and looked at your name tag and then looked back down at my phone because I saw you didn't have a speaker badge, so I didn't give a crap? Is that, or is that what you thought happened when you first met me? Because if so, that's bad, right? And I might not even realize that happened. I'm sitting there scrolling through email on my iPhone or whatever or, or having a phone conversation and I brush by you and I didn't make eye contact and you think, oh, rude. This guy just like pushed by me in a closed space and didn't even apologize or say anything. He's talking on the phone like he's some sort of big shot. We filter those first impressions through our own emotional baggage. So if I'm having a bad day and you slide by me in a crowded doorway on your Bluetooth earpiece, if I'm in a gr- if I'm in a great mood one day, I might think, wow, that you know, dude's busy getting it done on the hustle. If I'm having a bad day, I might think, what a douchebag. Look at this, friend. Mm-hmm. right? That's the first impression that you had no intention of making. So this stuff starts well before. And so the drill and exercise, one of the things I like to give to people when I'm doing these uh, sort of audio only teaching is you want to create a nonverbal presence that you don't have to think about. So the way that we do that is right now, wherever you're listening, hopefully you can do this without, uh, you know, crashing the car into the median. If you stand up straight or sit up straight, you've got your chin up. Big smile on your face, shoulders back, and you don't have to exaggerate this because you'll look kind of like an idiot, but if you just have that sort of upright, open, positive body language, all that at the the Art of Charm, this is the feeling you want to get. This is the the sort of mode you want to put your body in. So when you do this regularly, this is a great first impression. This is great nonverbal communication. This is great open body language. It looks friendly. It looks confident. However, what happens is we go, okay, got it. And then you go to the next networking thing and it all goes to crap the second you open your mouth because you've got to think about it nonstop in order to maintain it. So we want to make this habitual. And the way that we do that is the way that I suggest you do that is every time you walk through a doorway, reset your body into this mode, upright, smiling, shoulders back, chin up, you know, smile on your face. This is how you do it. Every time you walk through a doorway, even in your own house, if you do this, you will never have you'll eventually you won't have to reset it as much. So next time you do go to Starbucks, you walk through that doorway, you'll straighten up, chin up, shoulders back, smile on your face. This is now how you're entering every room. And if you do it at home and you relegate it to the level of habit, 
you no longer think about doing it, which means that when you're in a conversation, you don't have to think, is my chin up? Is my shoulders back? Do I have a smile on my face? Crap, I haven't listened to anything Jason said for the last two minutes. Right. You, you can be present with it. It's a habit now. It's subconscious. You don't have to worry about it. This is massively important because if you've got if you have that set up as a habit, you can focus on other things like listening to what other people are saying, reacting to that instead. And that's huge. So I suggest to people that they do that and they do it whenever they walk through the doorway to their bedroom, the bathroom, everywhere they go. So that way, when they, quote unquote, have to turn it on, it's already on and it never yep. turns off. So we start there. We walk into the room. We, we have that open positive body language we're carrying ourselves well we're we're moving through the room we haven't talked to anybody yet we've started to make eye contact with some folks because our heads up we're looking around now does it matter i mean as far as first impressions go you know i kind of think about what i wear is that something you guys yeah think matters much it does, and, and the things that you want to communicate are the things you have to focus on, right? Big surprise there. So a lot of people, they'll get obsessed with like, oh, it's got to be this kind of student. It's got to be this fine thing. It's got to be – that's fine if you want to appeal to – if you're in the fashion crowd, sure, focus in, infinitely on right. little details of what you're wearing. For me, what's most important is to look just professional enough that you pass muster while being as comfortable as humanly possible. Because nothing says nervous awkwardness like somebody who's constantly fidgeting with their shirt, their pants. You know when you get a new like a new suit and you're like, oh, I'm not totally used to the way yeah. this moves. I'm not used to wearing this. Oh, the pants uh, they're pulled up a little too high. Maybe I need to loosen my belt loop. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that makes somebody go, that guy was kind of weird, huh? And meanwhile, you're just thinking – this damn new suit is crawling right up in places it shouldn't be. It has nothing to do with you. It's bothering you, and I'm only noticing the symptoms of that, right? Like, you didn't seem comfortable at all. So you, when you're uncomfortable, you make other people feel uncomfortable. And that's not some sort of metaphysical blah, blah, blah. It's if you've got a wedgie, right, and you are shifting around to try to correct that, or, you know, I'm only noticing your nervous body language. Yes. I'm not thinking, hmm, maybe he has a new suit and he's feeling uncomfortable. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. All I'm right. thinking is, why are you acting so shifty when we're talking about the coffee? This is weird. You're a weird guy. Yeah. That's going on subconsciously, whether you're a judgmental person or not. So you need to be as comfortable as possible while not, you know, rolling up in your Lululemon yoga pants at a professional networking mixer, right? I'll uh, throw those away. No. So- <laughs> Oh, we're having a bit of a Skype issue right there. I just stopped talking, and then I no, didn't do anything from you. Never mind. Um, so I think the other thing I'm hearing there is, you know, if you know you're rolling with a certain type of person or a certain crowd that dresses a certain way, match up a little bit. If if you think that you need to, if it's a professional event. So here's the thing. For me, I'm essentially an entrepreneur who is a broadcaster. I can wear something that's like. Uh, steel-toed boots with the the leather shaved off the front, so the steel's exposed, and like they, they've got this sort of weird dye pattern. And I wear like nice but kind of edgy jeans that are black with a little bit of a sheen and a button down that is nice but maybe not tucked in because 
I'm a broadcaster. I got that. I have a little bit of a creative angle to what I do. So when I walk into a room full of professional lawyers and stuff, they might be like, uh, what do you do? And then I, I start telling them what I do. It's actually a point of curiosity. And then they go, oh, it all makes sense. I'm essentially a radio talk show host. I shouldn't have a three piece Wall Street Gordon Gecko suit on. That's weird. Right. Yeah. But, but if you're if you're in a sales, if you're at a sales event and you're representing uh, Microsoft, you should probably dress the part. Now, if you're head of search at Google, roll up in cargo shorts and flip flops because you work for Google, whatever. Right. Yeah. But he expects you to be a friggin weirdo. Sorry, Google. But it's true. Right. But if you're an attorney, don't do that because it looks like you don't know what the heck you're doing. Yeah. So dress for the part, but it's your part. It doesn't necessarily mean the part uh, that the event dictates. Unless it's if you're going to a bar exam or a bar association mixer, even if you're a non-practicing lawyer, you should probably look at least somewhat like everyone else because that's what's expected of you. So there is a fine line between dressing to be quote unquote true to your profession. Uh, if you're in a rock band, you're not going to wear a suit. But what would be really cool is if you did wear a suit, but you still had edgy hair and edgy, you know, maybe ring or bracelet to sort of accentuate everything. That shows that you know what's going on, but you're still able to express yourself. And that's cool. It makes you unique. Yeah. But don't try to roll in being like, I don't care about anything. And my shirt's unbuttoned down to the navel. You're just going to look like an idiot who doesn't belong and doesn't get it. Yeah. So now we're we're in the room and we're kind of matched up. We're we're dressing our part, and it's time to start some sort of interaction. Uh, some some sort of verbalization needs to come here because we're walking up towards somebody. Oh, walk us through that. Where's where should where should we be going? Sure. So my favorite thing to do is actually go up to and this this isn't something you should focus on solely because you do so to your detriment, but I'll roll up to somebody who looks like maybe they don't know which end is up. Maybe they're being a little bit shy, not somebody who's on their phone, maybe dealing with something urgent, but maybe somebody who's hanging out by the, the hors d'oeuvre area, kind of looking around and being like, I hate these things. Here's an awkward smile. Sure. I like to go and talk to those people because what happens is they go subconsciously, Nonverbally, they go, oh, thank God. Now I don't look like such a schmo standing here by myself. Because a lot of times if you don't talk to those people early, they leave because they hate being there, right? And there's maybe a misconception that people who hate networking events don't belong at them. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, those people are there because their boss is making them go there or they know they need to go there or they're actually just uh, trying to step their game up. Those are great connections a lot of the time because they'll, they're keen to resp respond to your email. They're, they're actively trying to make professional connections, but they don't do it professionally to the point where they're glad-handing all over the place. Those The people who look real too comfortable there um, often are the people who are quote unquote working the room and they do it because they're trying to make a sale, right? You want to look comfortable and you can look really, really comfortable there as long as you're not pushing your own agenda. So your agenda for these things should not be what can I get out of it, but what can I help other people with? And that will set you apart from everybody else at these networking events. I actually tell Art of Charm students not to go to networking events most of the time because they're actually a terrible place to connect with people right. uh, because most of the people that go to quote unquote networking mixers, they're there to push their own agenda. The way it usually goes is you show up and somebody goes, hi, I'm a financial manager. Here's my card. And the advanced quote unquote advanced networker goes, hi, 
I'm a financial manager, but let's talk about that some other time. How can I help you? And you go, uh, I don't know because I don't know you. And they go, great, here's my card. I'm a financial manager. Call me when you need something. And it's like, ugh, I get that you're trying to yeah. call, help me so that later on I owe you something and you get to manage my money. No thanks, go away. If you go there with the agenda only being how many people can I help get what they want, this is that old Zig Ziglar thing, help yeah. people get what they want, you'll get what you want. He was right. That I mean, he nailed it on that. And don't you don't just go into it going, great, if I help Jason get this, then maybe he'll invite me on a show and that'll be really cool. Don't do that. Don't keep score. Go in there thinking, look, I'm just going to try to help other people. I'm just going to try to introduce them to each other. And that's that's usually sufficient agenda. One thing I found is if you go to these networking things or go to any event, if you talk to people, you might say you might meet someone who's a graphic designer and you have no need for that. Don't just move on after you find out what that is. You might bring other people into your group to continue the discussion and you can introduce them. Hey, I just met this guy, Jason as well. He's a graphic designer. What do you do? Oh, I'm Bob. I I'm actually a web designer. Um, and you know, I work with a lot of graphic designers, actual mm-hmm. value there, right? Maybe Bob doesn't need to hire Jason, the graphic designer right away, but if he works with graphic designers in any capacity, you just made a really good connection between two people who may not have actually met each other because they're both standing there with their hands in their pockets. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's for value. Yeah, sure. So I think as we're at these events, and maybe it's a maybe it's a next level kind of not a networking networking event. I tend to shy away from those myself, but I don't know the the uh, oh the the big gala kind of things that uh, charities and fundraisers will throw, where you know there's going to be people there that are are you know pretty heavy duty within your industry because they're wanting to donate some money to this to this cause. Um, so what if I'm walking into that room and I know that there are three or four people there that I'd really like to meet? I think I can probably help them, but you know, I, I want to meet them because I, I think they can help me more. Yeah. Um, this, this is massively, th- this is a great, this is a great goal to have, right? One or two or three very specific people in mind. Yeah. So, We've got that mindset. We walk in. How would you? How do you advise people to kind of get to the point that they're in a conversation with even one of those people? Yeah, this is this is awesome, and this is super important. I actually just taught a bunch of scientists how to do this um, down at Caltech. The way that this works best is to figure out where they are before you even go to the event. Uh, and I don't mean physically. So if if I'm a scientist, to give an example, I might go, all right. Let me look this guy up. On I'm trying to meet Dr. Feinberg because he's the preeminent physicist in my niche, right? I'm a particle physicist or something, right? So I look him up on Facebook. Oh, he doesn't really use Facebook much. It's mostly his family and friends. I don't have any mutual connections. He's got 73 friends. It's probably his granddaughter made the account for him. End of story. Yeah. It added the family. Dead end. But then I go on LinkedIn, and he has one of those because the university made everybody do it. And he's got 373 connections, and I know three of them. One of them happens to be somebody that probably just cold added him because they're a student in his department or they were. And then there's two other people that seem pretty random. One of them I went to school with, and the other person's an administrator. Well, all right. I want to reach out to those two people and say, hey, this is kind of random, but how do you know Dr. Feinberg? It's really, really random. I would not have expected that. Oh, well, you know, I used to chair his department head's charity drive three years ago, so we connected on LinkedIn, but I don't really speak with him much. 
Oh, well, would you mind introducing me to him? You're going to get a yes or a no, right? Like, sure, yeah, I can. He'll remember who I was. Great. I'm going to be at the same event as him in Las Vegas next month. I was hoping to actually come up and say hi, but he's going to be swarmed. I wonder if there's any way you can make an email intro. Then I can at least plan to meet him when I go there. Now, let's assume that you get a yes from at least one of the pre- people with whom you have a mutual connection, and that person actually does introduce you to that person via email, right? Sure. That's not that much of a long shot. Sure, you might run into a dead end there, and I can, I'm, I'll get into what happens if nobody can introduce you and or you have no mutual connections. Uh, but let's say you get that warm introduction. He's not going to go, great, I really want to hire you, Jason. I'm looking for new physicists to work with me at the CERN reactor. <laughs> I mean, that can happen, okay? No. But, but he might go, yeah, pleased to meet you. Uh, looking forward to World of Concrete Charity Drive. See you at the physicist world of concrete mixer whatever it is right so then when that person is swarmed with everybody at the networking thing you can you you have this weird sort of permissive permission slip almost to reach out when they're talking with other folks and say dr feinberg jordan harbinger we talked via email uh i'll wait until you're done you know i'd love to have a word with you when you're done no problem. You're not just a random person at that point going, hey, I want your attention later. He goes, oh, hi, Jordan. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, let me just – and then he'll probably do that thing where he politely excuses himself from the 15 billion fanboys that are talking with him about nothing, and he might actually come up and chat with you because you have mutual friends. You wrote to him, and he wrote back. You have this little tiny connection first that is much more comfortable for him yes. rather than – him being swarmed with, hey, would you buy this? Hey, here's my paper. Will you read it? So I was thinking about your latest blah, 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 and I have 10,000 ideas I'd like to bore you with right now while you're having a martini. <laughs> People don't want to be in those situations. Right. They'd much rather talk with you about something that you, you've already spoken with them about. And how do you find out that interesting subject? Again, LinkedIn and social media are awesome for this. Um we call this sort of, I call it pre-shaping. I'm going to think of a better term at some point, but it, it's basically, sure, you got that warm intro, or maybe you didn't, and you had to reach out with one of these other things. A lot of times on people's LinkedIn, it's like interests, racquetball. You might be like, oh, I don't know anything about racquetball, but I do know about equestrian, and that's his other interest. That's great. I used to ride equestrian when I was a kid, and I'm making this up. I'm, I'm sure forces but um, but i mean you can you can in the initial email say hey random i noticed you are really interested in equestrian i don't suppose you actually ever go to any of the races they're much more likely to reply to that than hey dr feinberg so grateful for the mutual introduction would you read my seven thousand page paper on something that you could that's totally inane or read my would you consider hiring me for this position even though i don't know you you know how many emails that guy gets that are just like that mm-hmm. probably gets no emails from a mutual connection where the person actually has a similar interest and i don't recommend faking that interest if you don't have it because that's really really inauthentic and if you get caught you're going to look like a real jerk face yeah but if you have a common interest and you'll be surprised many people do um, you're going to be in a much better position because he'll remember you. And when you do, then you can talk about that instead of, ah, oh, blah, blah, blah. I want this from you. I want that from you. Here's my paper. And that's where these scientists were having trouble. They were like, everybody wants to work for the same 10 or 20 scientists. 
And I said, what are you talking with them about when you meet them? Well, I'm too shy. Okay, well, that's because they're surrounded by other people. Well, you know, we're talking about the work and it doesn't go anywhere. Okay, great. Don't talk about the work. They're sick of talking about the work, even if it's their PhD and they've been working in the field for 50 years and they won their Nobel Peace Prize for having come up with it or their Nobel Prize for having come up with these concepts. They're still sick of talking about that, especially with people that they don't work with and interface with day to day. So if you go and talk about the Kentucky Derby with this guy who's really interested in it, you are already a cut, several cuts above everybody else who's vying for their attention. Yeah, you got to imagine. I have to imagine that you know, Doctor Doctor Feinberg and his his true peers when they're over there receiving their Nobel prizes, they're not talking about their work. They're talking about the Kentucky Derby. They are, of course. And even when they're even when they get the friggin prize at the victory dinner afterwards, they're not talking about how they did the study to get the thing. They're talking about that time they took a break and went to the Kentucky Derby and so and so got so drunk. He tried to ride the uh, divider between the seat sections and fell off and had to go to the hospital. That's talking about they're not talking about the other stuff and and this is extremely important because people think okay i'm a scientist he's a scientist we got to talk about science no stay away from that you're just like everyone else when you do that so if you can get the warm intro or if you can reach out cold but reach out with something that talks about the mutual interests if you can create an initial connection there you are you have a ten thousand percent and i made that up chance a uh, better chance of connecting with them at this event because they're expecting you they actually want to talk with you, right? Yeah. Much more than they want to talk with the random people who are ambushing them at the event. I've, I've had it where people will actually cut away from a crowd of people and they'll go, hey, hey, Jordan, uh, let's, you know, let's go. What are you doing for dinner? And we'll, we'll set that up and we'll end up doing something along those lines. And if you, man, here's top secret thing that I love doing. If you can find out if they have dietary restrictions, you win the gold medal. Because if you find out that that person, Dr. Feinberg, is a vegetarian. You can say, hey, have you tried? You can look this up online, find the best vegetarian place near where the conference is, and go, hey, I don't suppose you've tried this place. It's the best vegetarian restaurant in town. Are you interested in that? They might go, oh, good. I've been surviving on Cheerios for the whole time I've been here because the food in the hotel is awful. I've tried a few places. You say, this place has all five-star reviews on Yelp. They're a few miles away. Uh, I've got a table for tonight. Would you like to add me and your? Would you like me to add you and your wife to that? And you, you would be very surprised. You might get a yes. That sounds great. And now you've got a mandate with somebody big in your field because of that. Because you went on Yelp and you made a reservation with Open Table. And yeah. then, of course, when you get to dinner, don't then go. Here's my paper, right? It, it's always you don't get to talk about the work. You just get to figure out how to help this person and add value to them. Because if you don't, you're just like everyone else, even if you've done everything right up until that point. Yeah. So I know that uh, there's the one percent of my audience out there that's already turned this off, and then there's a 99 percent that are saying, um, "All right, so when do I actually get their help?" Right. Great question. I'm 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 glad that you did that and didn't let me off easy. The way that you actually get help is through the law of reciprocity. And this isn't some metaphysical BS like law of attraction. This is law of reciprocity, which is actually a real psychological concept. Now, look, you probably have little in the way of professional stuff to offer Dr. Feinberg. But what you can do in the way that I ask for things like this is I typically say, look, I know that you're goes without saying you're one of the top professionals in this field. 
if you were in my shoes where I am right now, what what advice would you give someone like me? So when I go out, for example, with radio personalities that are, mm-hmm. that are like when I talk to guys like Larry King, who I had on my show, and uh, it was a great interview. Thank you. I appreciate that. He's not an easy guy to interview because he's not used to being on the other side of the table. Yeah. But I, I would say something like, what would you give for somebody in my shoes? Because the game has changed a lot. I can't just, you know, go on radio at this point, nor would I even want to. What would you do if you're in my shoes? Like, what aspects of the craft would you work on? What would you do? He's not going to go, I don't know, dude. <laughs> He's not going to say that, right? Um, he's going to say, well, you know, you need. here's what I see. Everybody wants to have a show. Everybody's got their little internet, you know, podcast going. You have to be good at the craft. So work on the craft. Well, how did you work on the craft? How would you recommend I work on the craft? Study the greats. Who are the greats in your mind? Ah, well, you know, there's Barbara Walters and there's Dan Rather and these guys and Charlie Rose. You got to look at the interviews. And Okay, so when I'm studying what they do, what should I be looking for? And the advice I got was pretty damn good. And I won't I won't go into detail on it because people who are listening don't necessarily care about how to create and conduct a great radio interview. But I got real advice. Right. And I got it by asking the right questions. And you can do the same thing. So you don't say, Dr. Feinberg, how do I get a job at your lab? That's a that's kind of that's one of those things where he's like, check, please. Right. But what you can right. do is say, look, if I want to work with people of your caliber, when I when I'm when I'm done here, when my degree is done or as soon as possible or whatever, how can I make myself more valuable to someone like you? Yeah. Oh, is he not going to give you advice? Well, you know, what I look for is A, B, C, and D. Oh, great. So if I have A, B, C, and D together, I'm a strong candidate for what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, here's what I'm doing to work on A. Here's what I'm doing to work on B. I had never even thought about working on C. How would you recommend I start working on point C. He might say, well, actually, the best thing you can do is get experience working with this, these three things. And I go, oh, I, would, I wouldn't even know where to start. Do you know where I could start? Yeah. Well, actually, do you know this guy? He's the guy who runs the best lab for C in the whole United States. I don't know who that is. Is, is that somebody you could connect me to? You'd be right. very surprised. He might go, actually, yeah. Why don't, I, why don't I tell you how to get in touch with him and I'll make a warm intro? You know, they won't say warm intro, but basically, yeah, I'll, I'll introduce you by email. That yeah. would great. Now you've got this guy reaching out to somebody probably a few rungs down who runs another lab working on this, and you, you're going to get maybe an opportunity with that person. He just gave you a roadmap to getting a job in a lab like his in five yeah. years. That's, that's beautiful yeah. because nobody else can give you that. People can give you general tips on how to interview well for a job, but it's like talking with the CEO of a company and going, who do you hire what do they need, and how do I get good at those things so that you can hire me later? That's yep. basically what you've asked, and he gives you the answers to the test. Yeah. Now, we're, we're out of time here, and you've been very, very kind, so I'm going to not ask you a bunch more questions uh, to keep following down this line. But what other people need to be thinking about, what the audience needs to be thinking about from this point is now you have a, a high-level professional that's invested enough in you to make an introduction to one of their peers, even if it's a, a rung or two down. You exactly. need to make sure that you are uh, continue to be gracious to that person, right? And keep them in the loop on your 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 professional endeavors. Like, let them know how you're doing. It's pretty basic, right? It, it is, and uh, and I mean, this can be real easy. Look, you don't need to write Dr. Feynman every week after that and be like, talk to this guy. Thanks. Talk to that. You can write him every three months and go. 
hey, just wanted to say thanks so much for this intro. I contacted uh, Dr. Thomas, and he didn't, you know, didn't offer me a job right away. No big surprise there, whatever. But, you know, he told me that I need to work on X, Y, and Z. And so I'm going down that rabbit hole, and he was kind enough to introduce me to so-and-so over at these laboratories. So I'm working my way up. Just thanks again. Let me know if there's anything I can ever do for you. If you keep in touch with somebody four times a year, you are not bothering them. Right. Totally fine. He knows you took his advice, which is awesome. And he kind of has a general idea of where you are. And the way that this worked for me in my former legal career on Wall Street was I would reach out to somebody and tell them that. And occasionally I'd get an email back like, oh, you know what? I know him too. He was one of my students. You know, he was, oh, he was a summer associate here before. You might find that the guy who you're working for, five, six rungs down, not even the guy he introduced you to, but a guy below him. That guy was in one of his classes or that guy worked for this other person or they, you have connections that you can now see on LinkedIn to somebody else. And, and that's brilliant because basically what that means is you're starting to work your way up the right chain. And that wow. person also can say, oh, you know what? Um, you're looking for a job in this. Don't go work for that guy. I've got another guy who told me recently he's hiring. You should go work for him. This happens all the time. Oh, I know a kid. You know, he's, an, he's a go-getter. I just met him. You're looking for people in this field? Why don't you talk with him? He's not going to say, you need to hire this guy. He's just going to facilitate the introduction. But that's how people get jobs. That's how people get career moves. They get introduced in a quote-unquote very innocent way by somebody else, and it blossoms into something. And so the more irons you have in the fire, the higher your chances are of ever getting something like that to really take off and take root. Yeah, totally. So uh, one more question for you. I typically would have two, uh, but one of them is about like tangible tactical advice you can give to folks that they can use today. We just spent 20 minutes talking about that. So I'm not going to ask you to do it again. The what's your favorite business book? Uh, business book. It's hard to say. if I don't know if this is a business book or not, but how to win friends and influence people. Does that count? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's like OG self-help and, and not in a cheesy way. It's not like you can do it. It's like, no, ask people for advice and they'll like you. And Dale Carnegie writes about it in this really happy sort of fun way. But what he stumbled onto and figured out was here's how you get people to like and trust you. And some of it isn't that advanced or nuanced. But what I've noticed is all the people that are at the top of their fields, they have a really good grasp on the concepts taught there. And all of the people who think they have a great grasp on those concepts but haven't really put them into action, those tend to be the people that struggle. They're like, oh, yeah, I read that book. Nah, it's a bunch of, you know, look people in the eye when you shake hands. Sure, that's in there, right? But you know what else is in there? If somebody doesn't like you, ask them for advice. It's called the Benjamin Franklin effect. It's written about in a million other business books, but it originated in that one. So. Yeah. If you've read a bunch of business books and you think how to win friends and influence people is all rehashed stuff or stuff you've heard before, it doesn't hurt to read the source because I've noticed a lot of newer material kind of takes those same concepts, gets it wrong, puts a weird spin on it and says, here's my original thing. So go back and look at it. The advice in there is timeless, even if the examples are a little dated. Yeah, completely agree. One of my favorites um, on the shelf right next to uh – a couple of others that folks on this podcast have already heard me talk about enough. Jordan, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for your uh, you know, kind of your, your very candid, very tactical. We can take this stuff and we can go do this tomorrow. In fact, I'm I'm literally thinking about an event I'm going to next month, and I have yet to do the research I need, but I'm going to do this, and I would invite everyone else in my audience to do the same thing. And 
when they have when we have this massive success that's going to take a long time but you know builds over time and we want to thank you what's the right way to to get in touch with you if we want to do that or if we're interested in the uh in the classes you're teaching Sure. So I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. People can just email me, Jordan at theartofcharm.com. Or you know, look, you're listening to a podcast right now. The Art of Charm podcast is one of the most popular shows in iTunes. I would love if people who were even remotely interested in what I had to say just now go there and grab subscription to The Art of Charm free. And look, I go into hundreds of hours, over 500 hours of shows there on these similar subjects, and I interview really great people on there as well. So I think people who who had a little bit of interest in this topic, creating relationships and maintaining them. We'll really enjoy what we teach at, at AOC. Yeah, I completely agree. The uh, it, it has my ringing endorsement I, already on iTunes, and uh, and you have it now here. Um, check it out. If you don't listen to it, if my audience is not listening to that, they're, they're completely missing out on a great resource. Friends, drop a link to them. Let them know they should listen. Thank you so much. Hardway MBA. Our website's hardwaymba.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, we've got groups everywhere. If you don't guess we should be talking to, please make an introduction. Nothing says thank you to me like referring this podcast to your friends. Drop a link to them. Let them know they should listen. Thank you so much.